Cinemodities, late night movies with Rob and Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddities where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, abnormal, or off kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel, most times, they crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp. I'm Zach. And I'm Rob, and this week on Cinemodities, we are happy to continue our Monstober series. Woo! And Zach, I know I asked you last week, but I forgot. This stands for Monst- Monstrous Prober? Is that what that's a combination of? I think that's close to what I was saying. Okay, okay. So we got our Monstrous Prober series. <laughs> uh, and I guess we actually have a, somewhat of a monstrous movie. This week, we're talking about Freaked. Man, Zach, I have to say, I kind of had in my head a certain way I was going to talk about Freaked. And then Zach threw a a total curveball at me and gave me kind of a a definitive interview with some of the people from Freaked. So that's where I kind of want to start, Zach. I've never met anyone else who knows about this movie. But apparently it has a big following, so much so that this these people who are in love with it, you know, devoted a whole episode of their podcast about it. I uh, forget the name. We should cite it. Zach, what was the name of that, that podcast? Name of the podcast is The Projection Booth. Okay. They did a whole episode about Freaked, uh, kind of getting into a lot of the history of it, I would say, and how much they love it, um, which I was really surprised about. I, that taught me a lot about Freaked. Um, like I said, I, I've never encountered anyone that has really known about this movie. The only other person I think I've ever talked about this movie with is Zach. I, you kind of threw me for a loop, Zach. Uh, did you know it was kind of this, I don't guess, cultish or popular? It's, okay, well, first, uh, do we want before we get into that, let's explain Freak. Because like Rob says, nobody's ever heard of this movie before. Okay, yeah, So sure. Unfortunately, this is not a movie, this is not what we're talking about in Jurassic World. We can just kind of throw you into the deep end at once. This requires yes. a little bit of context. Freaked is the 1993 film by Alex Winter, most notably as Bill from Bill and Ted, mm-hmm. the, the non-Keanu Reeves one. <laughs> and Alex Winter, right after Bill and Ted had a TV show called The Idiot Box, which I've only seen like bits and pieces of, because of the success of this show, it was like aired on MTV. It was like used as like a, a bumper rotation for like music videos back when MTV actually. Uh, reflected its namesake <laughs> yeah and after the success of this show like 20th century fox went to him and be like all right we'll give you money to make a movie so he made this movie called freaked where um i want rob to give his appraisal of my synopsis we have this character named ricky who's like a big time like celebrity he's kind of like a teenage heartthrob mm-hmm. he is endorsed by this like uh multinational uh oh god uh, conglomerate yeah has has like this like like i guess it's monsanto like today's thing the company is everything except shoes es it's essentially what monsanto is today we're like like they're pretty much in all sorts of different things but Mm -hmm. they um have a very bad reputation while he's going to some country in south america he gets caught up by a mad scientist played by randy quaid Um, elijah c scuggs along with his two friends and they get turned into freaks because skugs create this weird sort of like um goo zygrot 24 zygrot 24 and turns them all into freaks along with the prior freaks that skugs already has some of the freaks include mr t as the bearded woman bobcat goldway as what's his name mr socks or sockhead sockhead excuse me how could i get that wrong 
you have cowboy, have all these different weird freaks, and a bunch of stuff happens. And toward the end, they obviously they they all escape. They all turn back into normal people, except for one character, or maybe two, depending on how you look at it. Mm-hmm. That's essentially what it is. Um, this is why I lay that out. Does it doesn't describe? Okay, Rob, how would you just rate my description of the movie? That was did I do it justice? Yeah, I think so. That was a, that was a really good synopsis. Uh, the one thing that I would add at the very end, which is, which I, I have to say I would add, Zach might not necessarily agree, um, but we'll talk about this as we get more into the movie. At the end of your synopsis, you should say, and it's the funniest thing ever. You're going to be laughing throughout the whole movie. It is definitely a comedy. <laughs> I would, okay, I'm going to push back on that. Cause I, I know, think, I knew, I, we talked about this before. <laughs> I don't, I, okay, so okay, now we get into the backstory of this. And this is, this is a Zach's choice, but I'd say it's part of the Rob pantheon of great films. Oh, without a doubt. <laughs> and, okay, so backstory on this. I, or, Rob, you tell your history of the story right up to the point where I get involved with it. Okay, okay. So my my history with this movie is actually unique. I don't think I've ever found another movie in this way. But way back when, when I was in, man, I was trying to remember exactly, but I it must have been like eighth or ninth grade, so late middle school or early high school. Every morning, you know, my mom worked in the same school district I went to, so I would kind of ride in with her. I wouldn't take the bus. So every morning, you know, I would wake up, and I kind of have half an hour to get ready before she would be like, okay, time to go. And in that half an hour, I would usually you know, eat and kind of just sit there and watch something on TV. And I never wanted to watch the news. I never wanted to watch like reruns of sitcoms because this was like six in the morning. And so something that I used to do was say, hey, my parents have HBO. You know, we got like five or six different HBO channels. I'll watch whatever's on there. And one morning, there's a movie on called Freaked, and I've never heard of this movie, six in the morning on HBO, I'm like, sure, let's throw that on. And I throw on Freaked, and I got to see half hour, half an hour of this film, only half an hour, maybe a little less, honestly, because I spent some time flicking through channels, I'm sure. The half an hour that I got to see of this movie was from, like, the, when they first drive into the jungle, so when Ricky and the other main characters, they first drive to the freak show, there's like the very noticeable like matte painting of a jungle and the car drives through it. And then the joke immediately after is that there's like a wooden sign that says like, follow this road for freak land or something. And the music swells and the camera just zooms in to a really, really tiny printed text at the bottom of the sign. And it's a copyright notice. And there's a voiceover that says the entire copyright notice. Freaks is a registered trademark of Elijah C. Scuggs Enterprises. Any unauthorized reproduction is strictly prohibited without prior written consent. And this is, this is like the first minute of what I saw Freaked. And immediately I go, what the hell am I watching? <laughs> and so I watch it attentively for the next like maybe 20, 30 minutes, and I get up to the scene where Ricky and uh, the friends are turned into freaks. Like that's the chunk of the movie that I got to see. And if, if you know, if you know the movie really well, in that scene, there is one joke where Randy Quaid has the Zygrot 24, and he goes, I'm gonna use this to turn you into freaks. 
And one of the characters says, Zygarde 24, you're not supposed to have that. That's illegal. And Randy Quaid says, I guess I'm not supposed to have these either. And holds up two Ramada Inn towels. That is one of the, this is such simple humor, but I loved it. When my young self, I was blown away by that joke, by like the whole atmosphere of this movie. I think that when my mom was like, it's time to go, I was like, I'm sick. I can't go to school today because I wanted to see the rest of this damn movie. But I couldn't. And so basically, I just needed to find the next time this was going to be on HBO. And I think I had to wait like a week or two for it to come on again. And I think it was on a time I could actually watch it. And I fell in love with it. I laughed nonstop throughout the whole thing. I had to buy it on DVD. I, I probably watch this movie once every three months, I would say, somewhere in that range. And I laugh out loud for the whole thing every single time. And so, of course, because I found it so weird, so funny, so unique, when I got it on DVD, it became one of the movies I started to show to people. And I think that's where you come in, Zach. I think yes. this is one of the things I showed Zach when we started hanging out. When, you know, Zach was all into movies, I was like, have you ever heard of Freaked? Well, okay, Rob, okay, I can remember when Rob pitched me Freaked. Rob pitched me Freaked, like, the spring semester of our senior year of high school. So Rob and I kind of knew each other for almost two years at this point. Okay. And this was, like, I had to be, again, oddly specific, but, like, March 2010. And Rob's like, oh, like, there's this movie Freaked. You should watch this. And he loaned me his DVD. And I watched it. And I really, at the time, did not think much of this movie. Like, this, this movie's been percolating in my brain for, like, eight, over eight years now. Okay. And I didn't. I, I think Rob was a little disappointed. Much like how I sh- maybe this is Rob's retribution for me sharing men, women, and children with him and giving me a lukewarm <laughs> response. I think this is the retribution because that's kind of like what I did to Rob. Rob was like, "Watch this movie. It's weird. It's nuts." Much like how I want everything to be Gonzo now. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like what Rob wanted from me in the reaction. And I watched it, and I'm like, like it's zany, but like it was a different time. I wasn't really. I'm not the same person then in the sense like what I want in movies. Yeah. And I'm like, whatever. And so this then ties into probably the greatest cinematic story of all time, Eraserhead, <laughs> where we're walking down the hallway, and this is, again, Rob showed me Freaked, and like less than a week later, we're walking, I can still remember the hallway, I, can, I, I wish I knew who the guy was, and there's the guy in the Eraserhead t-shirt. And like the guy has a t-shirt, and if you've never seen that Eraserhead imagery before, it's used for anything, like Eraserhead has one image that's used to, for everything. Whether it be U.S. or international or DVDs or, or mm-hmm. the, whatever it is, it's that one image of Jack Nance with the the cloud of dust behind him with the light. Yeah, we'll we'll uh, play it backwards as the outro with this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Even better. Um, so I saw that guy in the T-shirt, and I'm like, I guess I remember the comment I made. I'm like, what's a racer head? I'm like, is it like freaked? And Rob made the comment to me, oh no. I don't mess with Eraserhead. And Rob hadn't <laughs> seen Eraserhead. So to this day, I don't know what that comment made, like, meant. And I'm like, I knew Freak was weird. Like, I never, I never took that away from him. Freak is a weird-ass movie. And I said, okay, if, I'm good, like, if this is weirder than Freak, I must check out Eraserhead. And that was kind of the thing that happened with the Freak was Freak kind of got caught in the vacuum of Eraserhead. Okay. For me, at least, where it was like, oh... As much as Rob, I, I know Rob's affinity for Freak, and, and, and now I know, obviously, they're two very different films. I mm-hmm. think Rob can understand to, like, a 17-year-old why Freak would lose out in a competition of weirdness. Sure. To, sure. to Eraserhead. 
um, Eraserhead being the the granddaddy, the magnum opus of Cinematis. <laughs> and so I kind of just I never thought about Freaked after that because it was like Eraserhead was the pantheon where it was like okay, nothing can compare to Eraserhead. That to this day, nothing can compare to Eraserhead. And so I really didn't think about it much. Where I think periodically, I think once in college, I found Freaked action figures. And I sent them to Rob, and Rob's like, oh my god, this exists. <laughs> and, and, and so, like, Freak would show up every once in a while, like, if I was on the computer doing something. Mm-hmm. I'm looking into weird movie stuff. And it wasn't until, like, a few years ago where I'm like, I really need to watch that again. And so, it's, it, wasn't on, it wasn't available, it wasn't at the library, and so I figured, okay, let's see if I can find a copy on eBay cheap. Found a copy without the slip cover, and it was the same copy that Rob had. And, mm-hmm. and at the time, I, I, to this day, I'm still really big on the Blu-ray.com stuff. So I looked up the review of the Freak Blu-ray. It had no special features. It had, like, so-so picture quality. Oh, man. And so I'm like, okay, clearly the DVD is the way to go if I want. And plus, the DVD has been out of print for, like, I think over a decade now. Mm. So I figured, okay, I have to buy the DVD. So I purchased it. And I watched it. And once again, like, I don't think any of the – like, some of the humor is funny. But it doesn't resonate with me. Like I, I like I, as time goes on, it's growing on me as a movie. As I rewatched it for today, uh, today's recording, mm-hmm. I definitely laugh more than I have ever before at it. Okay. <laughs> and I don't know if I'm finding it funny or because everybody's telling me what moments of the movie I have to laugh at. Like I know <sighs> probably the most popular line of this movie is the Randy Quaid moment where uh, Ricky knocks over the styrofoam cup and it gets Randy Quaid's attention. He's like. Styrofoam cup. Styrofoam cup. <laughs> and I know that the most popular line from this movie is the styrofoam cup line. And that's a funny line. From now on, no more screw-ups, okay? Styrofoam cup. Mm-hmm. But I think I've been conditioned like to laugh at it, not because I find it funny, or, because, or more because I've been told to laugh at it. That's fair, that's fair. I, I understand what you're saying. It has its moments of humor. But it doesn't appeal to me. The thing that I'm saying with us, so a couple of weeks ago, I was, what I was doing was I was going through looking for a podcast. As I play video games, I listen to podcasts. And I was at the projection booth, and we had like, I forget what I was doing with it. Something came across, like they have a list of movies they've, they've reviewed. I think they have like a Wikipedia page, maybe. Mm-hmm. And it's like a list of movies. And one of them was Freaked, which Ooh. was Rob was referencing at the beginning of this podcast. I'm like, oh, I have to check this out. So go to, um, iTunes podcast, and I'm like, where is it? Type it in. There's like nothing about Freaked on um, iTunes podcast. I'm like, okay, they obviously did an episode. Whatever happened was they took the episode like out of their roster, so you have to go to like their, their like where they host their audio okay. or where somebody has collected it to listen to it, which is why I sent Rob because it's not available on like any like the Spotify, Podbean, gotcha. uh, iTunes, Stitcher. It's not available there. And I was listening to this, and they interviewed Alex Winter and the screenwriter of the film, who is Tim Tom Burns? Stern. Oh, Tom. Oh, Tim Burns was the other director, right? Uh, no, Tom Burns is the director. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Tom. Tom. Sorry. Okay. Tom. Sorry. Tom Stern is the co-director. Tim Burns is one of the co-writers. There we go. Along okay. with the other two names. Yeah. And so, like, I'm hearing all this story, and it's really, it's when the projection booth first started, and like any podcast, their audio is not so great. So you can barely hear half of what's going on because you have uh, so many people yelling and howling and just laughing through it. Mm-hmm. But, like, as I was listening to this, I knew some of the production things behind Freak, like Keanu Reeves as the dog boy and so and different things like that. But, like, I never, I never knew the full extent of the production history behind freak yes 
which I think in a weird way is more interesting than the film itself. <laughs> and that's definitely saying something if you've seen this film. Okay, okay. See, I was when I listened to that episode, um, and I liked it, don't get me wrong, you know, I love that, that history and, like, how, how it got made and all the things they had to go through to, like, get to this point. Um, but, you know, honestly, there was some stuff where they were, they were talking really about, like, you know, oh, like, this idea in the movie used to be this idea, and before that it was this idea, and they're kind of talking about the process of how these concepts molded into what the final product was. And I think I'm a little... I'm on the opposite side of the fence that Zach is because I like this movie so much. There's part of me and I, and I love the way it is like the whole package. There's part of me that just like, I, I don't care what it could have been because maybe it could have been better, but I I'll never know. So part of me, like I, I've kind of felt that way. I was like, I love this movie. It's great. Like, I like that you had other ideas for it, but you know what we got is, is perfectly fine. I think. So that, that's kind of how I felt with some of the, the lengthy discussion of that podcast episode. That's a long one, I think. Uh, yeah, I definitely understand. I, I can appreciate Rod's perspective on this, because that's fair. It's nostalgic for him, so he doesn't want mm-hmm. anything treading on that. But to someone like me who never had any affinity for this until I rewatched it after listening to the podcast episode, I fell in love with it for a different reason, because I'm like, this is yeah. movie should not exist. Yes. Like, it's a miracle this film exists. This is one of those things where it's like, Probably not the best comparison, but kind of like how my thing was on uh, Trapped in the Closet, where mm-hmm. it was like, this exists, yet I'm kind of amazed that it does. And, <laughs> yep. and I know a couple of times in the commentary, uh, I'm sorry, both in the podcast episode and in the commentary, Alex Winter says, like, people watch this movie now and are like, how'd you get away with this? And he says, that's great, but can you imagine trying to get away with this back in like the late 80s, early 90s? Yeah, definitely. That's something that I think people forget is like it wasn't easy back then either. <laughs> and because and, it is because like now you with things like Tim and Eric awesome show and basically anything that airs on Adult Swim mm-hmm. or the weird crap on the Internet. Like this is before the Internet. This is just again there. This is kind of a cornerstone of gonzo surrealist yet weirdly mainstream humor. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And where like, I don't think you get things like Tim and Eric or or Rick and Morty or things like that, where it's like all these shows have off-brand humor, mm-hmm. yet they have millions of viewers. Yeah. Like Freaked is an off-brand film that costs $12 million. And it like Rob says, nobody is aware of this film. Like, I, I, that's getting back to how we started off this podcast. We finally made it full circle uh, three hours later. <laughs> but nobody's like this film does not get any retrospectives um it's not i I don't even know i don't even call this a cult film because it's a cult film in the sense like it does have a fan base but when you think of a cult film you think of something like i don't know i'm thinking of a cult film that's something that's on the periphery it's like evil dead 2 evil dead 2 is a definition of a cult film where like everybody who who's seen a horror movie is weirdly aware of it Mm mm-hmm Yet it has not. You'll never see it airing on TNT during Monstober October. Yeah, it's like you have to go go out of your way to find it if you want to see it. Exactly. You can't just. It's not. You can't just stumble into it. I think that's yeah. a good way. Maybe like as time goes on, is like how we define a a cult classic versus maybe a cinemonity. Whereas with a cult classic, you have to like deliberately go looking for it. Mm-hmm. You can't just stumble into a cult classic. I think the moment you you can stumble into a cult classic, it means it's sure. officially mainstream. 
Okay, okay. Evil Dead 2 is like the definition of a cult classic. Everybody is aware of that. Everyone says, oh, I love Evil Dead 2. Nobody even references the fact that there's like three other films in that franchise now. <laughs> Never mind the TV series that, that bombed out after three episodes. Mm-hmm. So like that's, that's a cult classic. Freaked is just off the radar. Freaked yeah, is like yeah. the barren wastelands of film culture. Like nobody remembers it. It, like, it's. I'm amazed that it had a Blu-ray release, albeit a bare bones one. Mm-hmm. Like, like I remember. I think this was like a couple of years ago. Now there was like a YouTube like uh, film retrospective account that like go back and like look at like old B movie, not old, but like B movies, movies that never really got like attention. And I remember like messaging the guy, being like, "Hey, are you ever doing an episode about Freaked?" He's like, "Oh, it's been on my short list forever." And like two years later, he still hasn't made that. Gotcha. Damn. And I, and I think that's what I. I there are, like, don't get me wrong, Freak exists. Like, people are aware of it. Mm-hmm. This, this isn't after last season where, like, nobody has ever heard of this movie except for, like, a <laughs> phone, phone booth worth of people. But, like, Freak is the definition, I, not to get into it ahead of time, though, but it is truly a cinemati for that purpose, whereas it definitely checks off the marker of obscurity. Spoiler alert, I agree. <laughs> Spoiler alert for the end of this episode. <laughs> All right, what do we play what, what do we play backwards? Do we play the reverse intros theme, the gremlins theme, or the freak theme? <laughs> oh well I mean that that theme song, man, that's by the Butthole Surfers, no less. Yes, I actually the knew I, I knew about the Butthole Surfers for a while before I saw Freak. So I was actually like when I finally saw the full movie, because I didn't get to see that intro the first time I in that like first half hour in that morning. I was really happy about it. That's not a bad song. I like that song. <laughs> we, we can play that backwards. <laughs> All right, everybody, see you next week. <laughs> Shortest episode ever. <laughs> All right. You have, so is Okay, I, I feel a little better. I think that that's what I've been noticing. Like, my whole experience with Freaked is that no one knows about it. And then when you sent me that podcast, I was like, oh, man, you know, maybe it is a little more popular. But that that podcast episode is, is kind of, you know, just a, a singularity. Well, I guess once ours is out, we'll have uh, added to that group. Okay, so it's... It's off the radar. I like that description. <laughs> it's like, I, I don't know. Like, Freak just doesn't exist. Like, it has a fan, like, a fan base, but, like, it's extremely niche. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it's not a, because I, I don't know, because, okay, part of, the, part of the reason why I like the backstory of Freak more was, as Alex Winter describes it, is that, like, they had a, the studio chief of Fox, this is the 20th century, this, is, this was, well, it was never released, but mm-hmm. it was produced, funded by a major film studio, 20th Century Fox. Yep. And the head of the studio like saw what Alex Winter and his cohorts were doing and was like, this is a weird movie. We're gonna, I think he even says this almost verbatim in the podcast. He's like, we're going to find the audience for this film. <laughs> yeah. and Which I think is clever. I, I wish there were more studio heads that'd be like, okay, we're going to make something really niche. But which is not going to make us a ton of money. But when we find the group of people that will appreciate it, it will make us a profit. Yeah. And then what happened was during the production of the film, there was a, a not upset, but a studio management left the one that believed in this film. And a new group of people came in that pretty much just smothered the film as soon as they as soon as it was completed. Mm-hmm. I think to this day, like it's listed as only of grossing, I think like thirty thirty thousand dollars on like a twelve million dollar budget. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I I think they they talk about as well in that in that interview how the the new studio head he he didn't like what they were doing, 
and he really had them cut a lot of it back. You know, so there's like a lot of scenes that were edited out and you know changed and stuff like that. Um, once again, you know, that's kind of the that's kind of like a bummer to hear that you know this thing I love wasn't exactly what the creators originally intended. Um, but at least they still got some of their ideas through. You're, you're right, though, Zach. It would have been really interesting, like, to see what could have came of it. Well, that's okay. I don't want. I want to talk more about the film, though. But just a couple more things about mm-hmm. the making of this, though. There are so many nowadays, and plus, it's a hint of what our next series is going to be. There are so many like fan-made documentaries now about like movies that were either cult classics or didn't even get made or things like that. Yeah. And like, there's like. Um, there's a documentary for Creep Show called like Last Desserts, the, oh, okay. the making of Creep Show. There's like all these documentaries now that are coming out like 20, 30 years after like these tumultuous productions. I'm like, oh, like what happened? Like when like, even sometimes it would be like a bonus feature. Like they don't do it as much now, but like a bonus feature on a DVD. Like, oh, what went wrong? Sure. And there's nothing. Considering that, like every time Alex Winter talks about this, which isn't often because Alex Winter doesn't really show up in the public sphere that much anymore. Mm-hmm. He he talks about the same few talking points about like how difficult this was to get made, all the people that were involved. Yeah, and and yet this film is like prime fodder for like an hour and a half documentary about like its genesis from his his time at the Idiot Box on MTV all the way through to this day where nobody talks about it anymore. Mm And I'd love, yeah, considering right. there's so many, and plus, even if there's not a documentary made, I'm surprised there's not some stupid YouTube channel called, like, like Film Retrospectives that goes through with the whole history of this. Yeah, yeah. And I, like, and that's, you know, I don't want to do that here on Cinemodies, because Cinemodies is more analysis as opposed to a historical podcast where we break down the history of something. Mm-hmm. It's just, like, like alone, you could do five, ten minutes on the fact that mental, uh, Mr. T had a breakdown on this film. Oh, I, mental I, breakdown. I absolutely love when, I think it was Alex Winter, when he was describing, like, after the breakdown or something, Mr. T called him on the phone, and he, like, tried to, Mr. T, like, tried to explain something to him, and I forget what the actual topic of conversation was, but Alex Winter described, he said something like, Mr. T started talking to me in a Burroughsian di- monologue. <laughs> and it, so referring to William Burroughs, the guy who wrote Naked Lunch, the person who, you know, he wrote books, he'd cut cut the pages up and then reorganize them, and that would be the book. I, I would have never, never taken William Burroughs and Mr. T <laughs> anywhere near each other. I was very happy Alex Winter made that connection. I thought that was great. But yeah, apparently Mr. T was... Uh, Having a little of a rough time with Freaked and the Bearded Lady. <laughs> well, that's what I mean, though. The fact that he, like, walked off the set and did not come back. Because I know, like, if you go to IMDb trivia, there's, like, there's, like one line where it's like, oh, Mr. T walked off the set and they had to use a quote-unquote scab T. I think that's Alex Winter's ter- yeah. term for it. Yeah. To, and they had to, like, ADR some of his lines with, like, a voice actor that was able to mm-hmm. um, mimic Mr. T. And it's like, oh, like that, that's, like, a one-line thing where it's like, oh, okay. But as Rob described, there's so much more to the story. Yes. And I think that's where the the making of Freaked is infinitely more. Like, it's like Mr. T has what maybe like thirty seconds of time in this movie, yet whoever it was, the fact that he had to wear a dress, I just set him off royally. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He that, really he's not in it that much at all. No, and I know even at one point, like Alex Winter says, like there's a scene where like they all like like after they eat the macaroons in the film, Mr. T is like passed out on the floor, and he's like, oh. 
Mr. T like getting drunk off, getting drunk off like Chardonnay. <laughs> it's like as we pan the camera over him, he had to giggle. He'd be like giggling, so we had to do like sixteen takes to get one where he wasn't giggling. Like that's the sort. Like, I also think Alex Winter is more interesting in the interviews and in the commentary than he is in the film. That that I will give you. I, I've uh, Alex Winter. I've I've seen some interviews with him. You know, I think when I was first getting really interested in Freaked and more about him because I I knew Freaked. I knew Bill and Ted. Um, yeah, he he has a very good you know kind of behind the scenes mind. Like he and he can talk about it appropriately. Um, and you know, I think that shows that he he directs as well, and so he has like an eye for those types of things. Yeah, it's really interesting. And that's the shame about Alex Winters. Like, like every time you think about Bill and Ted, everybody automatically thinks of Keanu Reeves. Yeah, yeah. Keanu Reeves is the person. It's it's always Keanu Reeves. This, and you don't blame me because he is he is the Hollywood star to this day. Mm-hmm. And yet, I think Alex Winter has done. You know, I, I've heard from what I've heard, read Keanu Reeves like is an extremely nice guy. I think oh, he yeah, donated, I've heard that too. Like, I think he donated, like, his entire, like, Matrix Reloaded salary to, like, the special effects teams on that film. Oh, wow. Because he felt they weren't making enough money off what they were doing. So, he, like, he just donated his entire salary. He's like, like, take my salary, split, like, evenly, like, mm-hmm. like 400 ways. And, like, and I think, he, obviously, he got paid probably something like $10 million for, yeah. like, Matrix Reloaded. He's like, just give it to everybody else. I, I have enough money. I don't, like, they deserve, like, they, they're the ones that are making me look good. Mm-hmm. Give them the money. Right and so, like, in plus, I've heard, too, like, even in interviews, like, he's the most, like, chill guy ever. Like, people, like, pitch him ideas on things. He's like, yeah, man, that sounds great. <laughs> and he is. Like, like, he's the definition of a team player. And so, like, you, like, and even though Alex Winter, and I think he even says it in the podcast where he's like, this film, like, I couldn't get work for, like, a decade after this film because of, yeah. like, how poorly, like, word guy around town. And, I, and he does. He has, even, like, 20 years later, he has phenomenal comedic timing. Oh, Absolutely. And, yeah, and, I'd love to. I'd love to see more of him doing that stuff. You know, it'd be great. Well, that's one thing I would love to. Like, okay, we're we're, we're breaking new ground again. I'm, I'm pitching an idea. Like I said, I'd love to see a behind the scenes film on Freaked. Mm-hmm. I want to see Alex Winter direct the behind the scenes documentary for like or retrospective about his film. That would be so cool. That'd be so good. That'd be that would actually be really interesting. You know. Like that's because considering that, like I, I don't know, I, I have no idea this could even happen now. Because this is another, like, we kind of discussed this before we started recording. But considering this is a 20th Century Fox film, mm-hmm. and they're going to be acquired by the Disney company, like you're never like we I discussed it. The fact there was no like Blu-ray, like, like the Blu-ray for this isn't that great, and the yeah. DVD hasn't been released in like over 10 years. Like, there's a good chance that we never, like, unless you own a copy of this on physical media, mm-hmm. like, forget about the fact that it's on torrent sites and stuff. But, like, if you're anybody who values, like, physical media and is a film getting, like, official exposure, like, you're never going to see this film again. Like, Disney, yeah. Disney doesn't care about Freaked. Like, no, not they, at all. <laughs> like, five years ago, Freaked, because I was thinking about this, because, like, I, I'm always hesitant in, like, when I purchased the DVD off, um, ebay a few years ago i'm always afraid of like buying something that hasn't had like like or something that's out of print Mm because there's always a real chance that like a boutique label if anybody knows like something like screen factory or criterion or i'm sorry shout factory shout factory criterion any sort of those sort of labels sometimes like license the film Mm -hmm. they give them they um remaster them and then they'll remat, then they'll, they'll release them for a couple of years while they still have the rights. Then that's it. It goes back, like the rights, the licensing expires, and it goes back to the studio. And I was always afraid, like, oh, Freaked is a prime candidate for something like this. Yeah, yeah. And then and I realized, oh, crap, 
Disney doesn't license anything like that. <laughs> Disney's never going to do that because like a boutique label is not going to offer Disney twenty million dollars for this. They're exactly. going to be like, exactly. like, and that's why, like, one of the many. I know people love the cheer. Yay, Deadpool with the Avengers, and then you have this where it's like you have this truly unique film, and we'll get into why it's unique in a moment. Enough mm-hmm. context. <laughs> Yet you're never. This film's just going to be not even smothered. It's just going to be left to just. It's already died. And before you could have something that was a little bit more. Oh God, I'm trying to think of a movie that really was like a know nothing movie and kind of got brought brought back to life through a boutique label. I'm trying to think of a movie that really kind of saw a second life. Mm. I'm like Silent Deadly, Silent Night, Deadly Night. Oh, okay, okay. It's like something like that, or something like that will get cult following because a, like a clip of it will go viral on YouTube. Yeah. Insert garbage day clip here. Garbage day. Huh? No. And then you will sit there, like, and then, like, a couple of years will go by, there'll be, like, a DVD gets released by, like, like I don't know, like, a really crappy, like, like um, label, like, Anchor Bay, which, oddly enough, released Freaked on both DVD and Blu-ray. Oh, okay. Like, Anchor Bay is great for getting obscure titles out there, but they don't do much with them. Mm-hmm. And then, like, if that does well enough, a major label like Shout Factory will pick it up and be like, okay, there's enough money here. And they'll charge like $40 for the Blu-ray and you'll get like a couple of posters maybe. You'll get like really cool like limited edition like artwork. And I'll be out for a couple of years and they'll disappear into the ether again. And yeah. yet Freaked will never get that. Like we are seeing not the death of a film. We're seeing almost like the evaporation or the disintegration of a film before our eyes. Yeah, I like, I like that evaporation. That's an interesting idea. But yeah, like, really, you were watching it just – we're losing it piece by piece to just the ether. Yeah, I think even in that po- in the podcast episode, Alex Winter says like they couldn't for years they couldn't find like the, the original negative is gone. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the only th- I think they found the thirty five millimeter print in this is uh, this is obviously not specific, but they found it in someone's attic or someone's basement. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they just found it and like like and, and as weird as that sounds, that really happened. Like for a lot of these films that are now gaining a cult following. That's the only way they're being recovered because films like Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 2 and a lot of these weird, just kind of like off-the-beaten-path films, they weren't treated seriously. They were made and they were disposed of. Mm-hmm. Like, like, think about it. Fox didn't save a film like this. It cost them $12 million. They're not going to waste <laughs> space in the vault somewhere for it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think that's the shame of it, though. So if somebody does have that 35-millimeter print... I don't know. I'd hope that Fox. I don't think Fox had. I don't think a guy in that interview. Does he say who has the print still? I don't think so. I'm guessing it's not the studio. I'm yeah, I, it's I, still in it, private it really, hands. Yeah, it seemed like when they were talking about it, well, from what I remember, that it's uh, privately held. And you'd have to hope that whoever has it in their collection is storing it properly, because something yeah. like that has to be stored in an extremely dry environment, or mm-hmm. else it will deteriorate. Like you can't just keep it. Like I don't know. In your basement or attic, because it will dis- yeah. it has to be stored somewhere properly. Yep. And that's the sad thing with Freaked. It's just like a, a disregard. And I, I don't black. I can do it. It's not. I don't know. Is it Disney's job to pres- like They are now acquiring all of Fox's catalog, mm-hmm. a very large portion of its assets for seventy four like billion dollars. Is it is it a, a right that they have to uh, protect all this stuff? That's a really good question. Like, do they, um, uh, as part of the culture, do they owe it to preserve these films, 
even though nobody might care, except for maybe 20 people, anybody would care about them. I, I want to say yes, because I want to believe that, you know, there's a there's a, a general love for the things we've created as humans and they need to stick around. But in reality, I would imagine Disney's just going to let a lot of this stuff fall to the wayside. Yeah, I think, and that's the thing where people are like, I know like there's, there's so many different arguments to this Disney Fox too. There's like the first one where it's like, yay, now we're going to have Wolverine with Captain America. <laughs> then you have like, the other argument where it's like, this is, this is breaking antitrust laws or mm-hmm. all these different things. And it's like, then there's the argument where it's like, what's going to happen to all these properties and all these films? Yeah. Yep. Like Disney's going, like, like, I'm trying to think, where's some real, like Disney's going to preserve, okay, I'm trying to think of a real, like, like Independence Day. Like that was a huge moneymaker for, for Fox. Sure, sure. Not the sequel, but the original. Like Disney will release that just as much as Fox did on Blu-ray, all the stuff. Mm-hmm. But like that, the, the movies that make money aren't the issue here. It's the ones yeah. that are the forgotten gems. Yep. It's, yes, the ones that, you know, they're. They're not. They're. They know right off the bat that they're not going to sell an amazing amount of anywhere. Um, you know what? Honestly, now that we're talking about this, I'm thinking if Disney had anything to do with these, or if they do anything with them, the easiest fix just dump them on their streaming service. Maybe right? If they have the capability, just be like, oh hey, look at all this. Now we can make it look like a wasteland of programming, just like Netflix. We just have all this junk. So but the I mean, problem, though, is that Disney is a squeaky clean image. They don't want this uh, sort of stuff. Yeah, like, that's the problem, right. though, with Disney. Is that Disney, again, this is where, um, like, you know, we, as much as I love Disney, or my love-hate relationship with Disney, <laughs> I was really hoping that Comcast was going to be able to edge out Disney to get the Fox rights. Because Comcast would have no problem licensing out the rights to Freaked. Like, if Absolutely. somebody went in and be like, I want to do this, I don't have a lot of money... But here is like I don't know, like two hundred thousand dollars for the mm-hmm. the rights to for the home home video rights to freak for like two years. Comcast would be like, sh- sure, whatever. Yeah, Disney yeah. will not. I would imagine Disney wouldn't even take that phone call. I because, yeah, I agree. That's what I would imagine as well. And because they don't even want, because even let's say forever, let's say Rob and I won the lottery tomorrow, and we're like, we have thirty million dollars. We're gonna go to Disney and be like, here's ten million dollars. We want to release our own home video version. We'll license it, all this. There's a good chance that even with that much money, Disney just goes, we don't want that being associated with us. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right. I, I didn't think about that, you know. Cause and that's that's a scary thing. Clean. Imagine you have uh, a mother with her child, and the kid's like, Mommy, Mommy, Disney streaming service. Yeah. Okay, little Johnny, here's, I don't know, insert Disney show here. Mm-hmm. And the Sophia stumbles, the first. <laughs> Sophia the first, perfect. And stumbles into the predator or predators or or, or alien. They don't <laughs> want these things anywhere near this near their, their property. Like yeah. yes, they want they want some of these things. Like the, like in the um, great movie ride at Disney, there was an alien sequence. Oh okay. But that was before they owned it. They licensed that out for a theme park ride, which was very. It's just the alien popping out of a wall twice. Sure, sure. That's it. That's a lot different from yeah. than little Johnny stumbling upon this by accident and the mother threatening a boycott. Mm-hmm. And, that, no, and yeah, that's what right. it is, though. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Disney terrifying. is... Uh, yeah, that sucks that they, they got this, you know, this specific image that they want to keep up that we're, we might not totally jive with, but... It's not even jive with, but you'd think they'd be... like. I think it's, it's like what it comes down to is that, like, what's Disney's ultimate priority? It's to money. make money. It's to make oh, yeah. money. And like, do they? And that's their job. Like, they, there's no 
corporate or federal edict that says they have to preserve things within their mm-hmm. they own it now they will own freight and they have and they other than maybe a very abstract concept of owing it to the culture and to cinematic history they have no right they have every right to yeah. burn burn the print yeah absolutely and that's what's terrifying because disney you'd hope they'll take care of it but considering the way Disney treats some of its properties that aren't even that old that don't make a lot of money for them, mm-hmm. why are they going to take care of somebody else's redheaded bastard stepchild? Yeah, exactly. They're going to sit somewhere or be destroyed <laughs> at minimal cost. Who knows? We'll just have to see. We'll, yeah. uh, we'll have to see how bad it actually gets, right? <laughs> yeah. And on that depressing note... Because we know it's going to be bad. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be bad. But anyway, though, back. To, but something that's not bad is the movie Freaked. That is correct. Oh, so, man. So the reason why I got into Freaked, a couple, like, again, watched it on a DVD, enjoyed it for what it was. And then like a couple months ago after I listened to the podcast, I rewatched it and I fell in love with it. It's one of those things where you don't realize it until later that the person you, you've been looking for your entire life is like staring you in the face. Yeah, yeah. And that's what Freaked is. Like, I all, I, if you've listened <laughs> to the, the, the Star Wars, the Knights of Vader podcast, you've heard me on other things. I love gonzo movies. Yep. And yet... It took me down to his last couple months. Freaked is possibly the ultimate Gonzo movie. It really is out there, like in every way, shape, and form. It's fucking out there, man. I love it. <laughs> and that's and it's not just like one aspect. Like when we talk about, like we talk about like um, Gremlins two, mm-hmm. where you have just like the the zany ness of having different gremlins. Like oh, there's an electricity gremlin. There's a spider gremlin. There's a transvestite gremlin. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's like it's one element of that. Yet Gremlins two overall is a very conventional story. Mm-hmm. Whereas you have Freaked, and literally everything about it is dialed up to the eleventh degree. Oh yeah. Whereas. I really, I, I really liked um, in the Projection Booth podcast. They interviewed um, the the actor who plays um, oh, I forget her name in the movie now, uh, but the female, the main female lead. She and she basically says that you know everything Julie. in that Julie, yes, everything in that movie was so over the top that she needed to be just as over the top. And I really liked that, like hearing one of the people performing in it say that you know. They that was the sense of the movie. That was the atmosphere of filming that movie. Because I totally agree. It is dialed up to eleven, Zach. You are correct. <laughs> and I think, like, I can't think. I, I, as I was even rewatching it for today's recording, every like, beyond the fact you have the special effects that that alone are in the league of their own. I I I, I can't even describe the special effects. Like, go, <laughs> go on to YouTube, type in "Freak 1993." We, we can't describe these special effects with any sort of justice. Like, they're yeah. they're not, they're the '90s special effects in all their stop motion glory. Mm-hmm. And you look at the performances, and the performances, like like you said, are over the top. Like everybody here is trying to chew the scenery more than the actor before them. Yes, <laughs> and yet maybe the most reserved and at the same time over the top performance is Randy Quaid. Because it's, it's kind of amazing how well he pulls it off. I think. I, well, yeah, and that's what makes it so weird to this day where you see Randy Quaid act, or if you see Randy Quaid, period, and he <laughs> looks like a homeless person. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's baffling. I remember even to this day, like, like I, my rewatch is a couple months ago. I was like, oh, who is Randy Quaid in this? I completely forgot. And I thought he was um, 
the EES executive. Oh, okay. CEO. And I'm like, then I remember watching the credits, and I'm like, oh my god, that was him. Because Elijah Skuggs is a scene-chewing performance, yet it's done in the most subtle way possible. Yeah, it, yeah, and uh, it was actually interesting because he has such a, uh, an interesting dynamic in the movie. Uh, in the interview with Alex Winter that we've mentioned already, I, I'm pretty sure at one point Alex Winter says something like, I knew it was Elijah's movie, like it wasn't really Ricky's movie, it was Elijah's movie, and I find that very interesting, that perspective. Um, because it really is, you know, Elijah gets just as much of a story arc, you know, as the bad guy, I would say, as Ricky does as the good guy, if you take that uh, stance. I would, because it's interesting when you bring up the fact that it is one movie versus the other. Because if you look over time, like if you look at the, like the original poster for Freaked, mm-hmm. it's very clearly Alex Winter's face with all the freaks surrounding him. Yes. Yeah, if you look at the Blu-ray and DVD cover, it's it just is Randy Quaid. Quaid. Yep. And I think that goes, because again, obviously in 1993, they were trying to play off Alex Winter's success with Bill and Ted. Mm-hmm. And yet over time, it's because, I think also, again, I think Randy Quaid is giving more of a performance than Alex Winter is. Yeah, yeah, I could, I can see that, you know, I, and when you say that, you know, it was, I think you said reserved or subtle for Randy Quaid before, I think that's what I, I where I agree with you, you know, because Alex Winter... He, he kind of just sticks to that, uh, I guess, one kind of, I don't know, one set of mannerisms. Like, you know, Randy Quaid has some depth in this performance. Like, his, his lines are loud or quiet. You know, the styrofoam cup line where he's whispering. Um, and, you know, he has that range. So I agree. That performance is, like, spot on. Maybe Alex Winter is just trying to portray that because, you know, he is that teenage heartthrob actor. So I think in the movie, like, uh, Ricky Coogan is that kind of, you know, young maybe one note-ish kind of actor, so maybe he's trying to portray that uh, in the movie. But I, I totally get what you're saying, Zach. Randy Quaid is dressed to the nines, does it greatly. It's awesome. Well, I think, like you said, uh, the, the character of Ricky is not as... Well, I don't... I mean, this is the part that's weird, though, because one thing in all the interviews and commentaries I've listened to, I've never heard Alex Winter say there was a lot of ad-libbing on this set. Okay. I, I never heard him say like, "Oh, like this person like really came up with a lot of their own lines." Like I know in a lot of movies, like you'll hear stuff like where again, this is really big with like the Judd Apatow films. Yeah. Where like there, there is a very loose outline of a plot, mm-hmm. and there's pretty much no dialogue, and it's just putting the actors in the same room together with a general idea of like, okay, this is where the scene begins, story wise, and this is where it has to end, and letting the actors make it up on the spot. Yeah, I believe that's a lot of um, curb your enthusiasm as well. Yeah, what's, that's, been, that's been very popular it, it, basically since around like ugh, Wedding Crashers, 40-Year-Old yes. Virgin. Yep. Again, the Judd Apatow t- sense of humor. And yet with this, though, I never heard Alex Winter say like, oh, like this was a very improv-heavy movie. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you can do that considering how special effects-heavy it was. Yes. And going back to Randy Quaid's performance, I think a big part of it, too, is that he's in this, he's the straight man. Yeah, yeah. As weird as it sounds, he is the mad scientist, yet he is the straight man that's also chewing on the scenery mm-hmm. more than any of the other characters of the film. Except for maybe that's Ricky. Ricky might be the only other character that chews on the scenery as much. That's a good point. Yeah, he really is kind of, he plays it straight. It's Oh man, yeah, you're right. I never really thought about it that way. <laughs> It's also weird to look at this movie like in the context of time. Mm-hmm. Because, like there'll be certain movies like like the original, like when the the new RoboCop came out, the remake, and it's like, oh, how do you remake RoboCop? 
Short answer, you can't. If you look at like, I think it was for Honest Trailers. They did like the the Honest Trailers for the original RoboCop. And if you look at the comment section for that, all this is 12-year-olds saying, those special effects are stupid looking. <laughs> and I think, whereas people who obviously enjoy cinema, like if you don't like Freaked, Mm-hmm. And you're still okay. If you're a cinephile and you don't like Freaked, you can at least appreciate the craft that went into yeah, making it. Absolutely. I think there is a like, this is part of the thing, part of the conversation of this film. Is like, why is this film non-existent in, in the film culture? Mm-hmm. Like, well, I think even I think Rob, I said this to Rob that there's a company called Mondo that does like posters and other other sorts of artwork for movies. Like they do all like they used to do like all the major movies. I don't know what they do now. I don't see they don't show up as much in my realm as they used to. But like they release like art prints for like Avengers, Star Wars, things like that. And yet a couple of weeks ago, or maybe I think maybe a couple of months ago, they did one for Freaked. Oh, wow. They did they did an art print for Freaked. I think it had to do with its twenty fifth anniversary, which I don't think we did we say that's its twenty fifth anniversary? Or no, no, I don't no, I don't think we said that. Twenty <laughs> fifth yeah, anniversary for Freaked. That's what we're talking. It's 25th anniversary, the day this is coming out. Oh yeah, we timed this perfectly, folks. We planned this years in advance. But they released this art print for it. I think it was like, I don't know. I think it was around fifty, eighty dollars. Mm-hmm. It sold out. Wow. But to be fair, it probably had like a run of maybe like a thousand. Give or take, sure, yeah, they, it, wasn't in a, it wasn't a huge inventory, of course. No, we're not talking about, like, because like, I know by, like, from my understanding of consumer products, mm-hmm. a run of 5,000 is considered limited. Gotcha. So, like, a, 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 a fifth of that is even less. Ultra limited, yeah. Ultra limited, and it's sold out. So, like, there is, like, I think Freak is this weird sort of thing where it's, like, the people who appreciate it are there. But I guess going back to what um, Randy, what I was trying to point out, make what Randy Quaid was, was that like you'd think even if this film did not live on the Gonzo special effects it has, you'd think Randy Quaid's performance would help buoy it. Yeah, yeah. Yet, odd, like there's so many things working in favor of this movie, and this is the point I was trying to make before, like comparing it to Trap in the Closet. This film has all the elements of a cult classic. Mm-hmm. It has them to to the nines. Yet somehow. It's just continually overlooked. Yeah, and you know what? I think, just from my experience, because I guess spoiler alert again, this is a late night movie. <laughs> I've shown this to a lot of people. I've played it for them. And the kind of the overwhelming response that is I usually get is that they think the jokes are dumb. They think the jokes are beneath them in some way. Um, and I'm not saying this is highbrow humor like a lot of this stuff is very very basic humor these jokes are kind of it's right sophomore. there sophomore. yeah it's sophomoric but you know i and i think that to each his own type of thing if you think that's funny uh, clearly i've established i love that type of stuff like the ramada in towel joke that's changed my life when i saw that and the the plane blowing up joke which we're gonna have to talk about but every time i show this to someone they're like Right off the bat, because the jokes start immediately. You know, there's the big intro, and then the first thing we hear in the movie is... We repeat, the flying gimp has been destroyed. You may return to your homes. And I think the people who don't like that humor, the people who are against that humor, is what I'm specifically saying, they're the people who are just like, I don't want to deal with this, I don't want to watch it, and they are never going to think about it again. And I think Zach has said this before... Someone is infinitely more likely to tell people that they saw a bad movie than a good one. And I think, you know, that might be part of the problem. When the humor of this 
uh, movie doesn't land, people just like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever seen. Don't see it. And it kind of gets cut short. That's one explanation I can I can think of or maybe well, a partial explanation. Well, that's there's one. But I, 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 I kind of prefaced this review off with it's like I never found the humor in this particularly. So, funny. Yeah, so, so you didn't you didn't find it particularly funny, but you're not like this is stupid and not worth my time. You don't have that reaction. The people I'm talking about have that reaction. They're like, this is not worth my time. This humor is beneath me. You're not in that class. But like, okay, but I was at one point though. Yeah, I saw the sure, light. Sure. When you first showed this to me, I did not find it funny. I did not appreciate the special effects, mostly because I was a dumb kid. And yet, but like, we look at things that become popular after the fact now. Mm-hmm. Again, the, the the room, like the room, is a very bad drama. Yes. Tommy Wiseau made that film as a drama, a, a drama borderline thriller. It mm-hmm. fails at both of those spectacularly. Yet the campy dialogue and the horrible performances are what buoyed that film into cult classic stardom. Mm-hmm. Yet, Free, I think Freak's humor is the least interesting thing about the movie. Sure. I mean, I, I think that's that's fair where you're coming from, you know, if you think that. But I mean... Like I, I see what you're saying with the room. Maybe the room was made, and I don't, I don't know the history of the room in any great detail, at least the release history. But that had an incubation period, I would assume. Like it's not like that came out and everybody was like, "This is so bad, it's great. We need to air it on Adult Swim like every night or something." I remember them doing that. Like I'm sure there was an incubation period, right? Is that accurate? Well, yeah, but to be yeah. fair, it had, it had it got, Freak this had ten years more. Freaks no, 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 but okay, yes, no, I agree, period. but what I'm saying, so they both had an incubation period, I think the difference between the two is the room, it, it found the right group of people, like, there were a group of people that saw something special in the room, and they were able to just get it, like, get it on a platform where they were showing the room on Adult Swim, and where it became this kind of cultural phenomenon. I don't think the, the community, the fans of Freaked, we're not, we don't have anyone doing that. Maybe people but, are trying, but it's never latching on. But, okay, here's my question, though. You, let's say you're the programmer for Adult Swim. Mm-hmm. It's, I think, I forget, like you said, Adult Swim aired it a few times in the late 2000s, early 2010s. Yeah. You're the programmer of Adult Swim, and you say, we need another, the, we, need, we need something like this that will bring in people. Mm-hmm. Why not contact Fox and be like, we want a license, we want the TV rights to um, freight? I agree, but maybe it's just not in the right order. Maybe they do appreciate Freaked, but there's many things they would appreciate more beforehand, and that's kind of what gets pulled up. But that's that. Okay, but going back, but my issue is that Freaked has never gotten even a tenth of the exposure that Silent Night, Deadly Night Part Two, or The Room have gotten. Mm-hmm. That's my issue. Is that like Freaked is by no means a secret. It's not like Freaked is yeah, yeah, after. Yeah. La- it's not after last season, where unless you have a copy of it or you know the history of it, that it's like, okay, again, it's kind of like if I went to uh, Adult Swim, be like, okay, I have this movie called After Last Season, which is a cinematic, but we'll get to it, so I have no idea what series that would fall into. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, movies that drive you uh, clinically insane, that's the series that movie's under. And like, okay, uh, you try pitching that, and that movie... It's we it, it's it's Gonzo for a completely different reason. It says more in line with the room in Silent Night, Deadly Night. Mm-hmm. But 
it's 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 really hard to get into that film because it's just how dry it is at times. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Absolutely. I, <laughs> that doesn't keep you, know, you going. <laughs> no. Free. Uh, After last season is a dry film. Yet. Freak is not dry in the slightest. You might not like Freak, mm-hmm. but it's it's there's always something going on. It's visually inventive, beyond imagination, and yet it keeps us. And it also keeps a steady pace. Oh, oh yes, yes, and I agree with you there. There's two things that come to mind when you bring up Silent Night Deadly Night. Um, but one, you know, I, I'm st- I'm still I think with the people that I've known, like the people who just are against, like people who literally will refuse to watch this movie because they think it's stupid, the humor's not good. I've lived that, uh, and I know that is part of it. But we're talking on a grander scale. You talk, you think of the room, you think of Silent Night Deadly Night, you think of maybe some of these other kind of classics that got revived. They at some point were a meme, right? We had Garbage Day. I didn't know about Silent. I don't think not a lot of people knew about that, you know, kind of our age in high school, I would say, until Garbage Day became a thing. It's you know, you could get that little clip. You got the room where he's screaming, you know, you're tearing me apart, and, you know, the all high mark stuff and all that, and that nonsense. There's never been anything, like, no one's ever memed freaked, you know? Like, no one's but, ever just been like, hey, this one little two-second clip is funny, it doesn't matter what it's from, let's release it to the ether. That is probably a big part on how these movies gain traction again. Is that because, A... Freaked is too too good of a film, or B, lack of exposure. Mm. So freaked, you so might not like Freaked, but Freaked is a competently made film. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, it's competently made in. I'm thinking of the humor because that's where a meme would come from. Like the humor is uh, a lot of the humor is it kind of builds on itself. Like you can't just take the clip of Randy Quaid turning a wrench into a hammer. That's not funny unless you have the context of all the other freaks and what the other people went through. But that's so, but that's perfect meme humor, though. Because you have the whole idea, you have this mad scientist, and he's, he's changing all these people. Like, you have Cowboy, Worm, uh, Mr. T, who's yeah, the truck yeah, driver, and I'm, like, I'm going to cut a, off your dick. When I'm thinking of a meme, I'm thinking of something short. Like, you can't use that whole scene. Like, I, I, I think Garbage Day was, what, five seconds long. He screams Garbage Day, shoots someone. The room scenes, you know, those were just seconds long. That's what I'm thinking is something from Freaked. But like, yeah, we could put the whole video out there, but I think the, the way that to get traction for something is that just little tiny bit you pluck out that has a hook somehow. But that's, but that's what I mean. Everybody had to learn about the room at some point. Like James Franco had to learn about the room I think, at some I point. I think they, they, and the instigating fact was those memes. That's what I'm saying. I think the people who did know about it knew it was funny, put it out there. People saw this two-second clip, went, what is that? And then it grows in popularity. So you, so what, I think, like so the Garbage what, Day, like Garbage Day is what got people into that movie. This is eventually going to boil down to a chicken or the egg sort of argument. It so is. Like, I, yeah, I, I've, I've been thinking that, you know, because when we, when we talk about the, well, did this happen because of reason X or lack of exposure, it, it gets circular at a certain point, you know, because the lack of exposure is kind of the, the origin of everything. So, okay, going back to my one point I had, then we'll get back on track to more elements of Freak and get rid of the uh, existential <laughs> issues of, of Freak. If you are the programming director for mm-hmm. Adult Swim, why don't you license this for one April Fool's Day? So here, this, this is my answer. If I was the program director, if me, if I was the program director for Adult Swim and I had to fill in some weird movie, like the room level, you know, that type of stuff, I would not think of... I would not look to, I would not look inward, I would say. 
I would look outward. I would actually go on, say, these websites, you know, Reddit, whatever else is out there these days, and look at these things that are gaining popularity. So kind of use that as a springboard. So, you know, once again, that's the circular part of it. He wouldn't pick Freaked or this programmer wouldn't pick Freaked because that's not out there in the ether. Whereas, you know, I, I, I don't know the true story, but I would imagine that the people at Adult Swim, they were like, oh, my God, there's this really bad movie that's getting tons of traction on the Internet. Let's use that to our advantage. I would imagine that would be the best way to, to plan your, your, your block of, of or programming for the night. So once again, it's kind of like the old adage with radio, where radio used to be, we create hits, whereas radio now is, we play the hits. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, so, it's a so difficult it's le- discussion. Yep. So it's less about, so okay, so the, the opinion you're putting forward is, it's less about creating a new meme, and more, in, more as we're playing into the meme. I think so. I think so. That is, that is very disheartening. It is. It absolutely is. Um, I think that there are people who realize that and want to switch it around, like too many cooks, I think is the, is the example of the opposite. Like someone was just like, hey, I have a unique idea that's very different um, from what you've shown before. Let's put it out there. And it works for them. Uh, you know. So I think there's an existence of both ways, you know, the, the push and the pull. But I would say that more often people are just looking at what's out there already rather than trying to create the new one. I think okay, you have to, okay. You might have a point here. No, I don't like it. And, or, or not, okay, not that I don't like your point, but it makes me mad that that's probably true. Yeah, yeah. There's another. There's another thing out there called a TCM Underground, Turner Classic Movies Underground. On Friday nights into Saturday mornings, they play two like weird movies. More, I don't want to say cult movies. That's okay, that's too okay. uh, that's that's too arbitrary of a term. It's um, but they'll play things. And like a couple weeks ago, they were doing. Electric Boogaloo, or no, what was it on? Break in, <laughs> and then break into Electric Boogaloo. Okay. And I'm like, those, think about those movies. Neither of those movies are interesting. They're not interesting movies. The only thing that's funny is because the fact they named it, they named it Electric Boogaloo. Yeah. Like, and, and that's what it is. It's a, so they, not that they wasted, but they picked a movie, or they picked two movies mm-hmm. based on the fact that that's a meme. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And even and even though we've played into that yep. meme with our Jurassic World two dinosaur boogaloo review, <laughs> yeah, it's it's I guess you have a point where it's that they could very easily do Freaked, yet mm-hmm. nobody's ever heard of Freaked. Yes. So why why bother? Because again, even though Turner Classic Movies doesn't have um commercials, mm-hmm. they want people watching. Exactly. And, and people, maybe airing Freaked would give it some popularity, but they're looking for, like you said, they want people to watch it. They want people to just see the title of the movie listed somewhere, and they go, oh, hey, that one. Let's check it out. Uh, I know. It sucks. It sucks uh, for sure. <laughs> God, this is what I take. Like, oh, gosh. It feels like I swallowed a mouthful of, like, mouthballs. It's like, oh, this is a bit, ugh. <laughs> I, I, I hate our culture. Oh, yeah. I mean. Who doesn't? <laughs> but anyway, though, back back to the uh, one thing that's not horrible, like the culture, is freaked. <laughs> uh, oh, like man. Rob said, like, like we, we could spend all day listing all the, the jokes in this movie. Like, oh, yeah. even though I, I like I said, over time, I'm appreciating more and more of the humor. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of the humor, they even say it in the commentary that is extremely dated. I know yeah, at one that's, point that's true. I know at one point Ricky's talking to Julie. 
And he's like, and she says something about like Christian Slater being so handsome. He starts freaking out. Yeah. Like, I don't think anybody in these days would know what, who Christian Slater is and why he was a teenage heartthrob. I think the only people that would know Christian Slater, I'm pretty sure Christian Slater plays himself on like the last few seasons of Archer. <laughs> well, there you go. So yeah, that's his, uh, his fall from grace. <laughs> and that's why I, I, there is some elements of freak that definitely feel like, Oh, Unless you were, it's kind of like watching, like, I don't know how Family Guy, like, they can re, re-air early episodes of Family Guy, because mm-hmm. some of the humor is just so steeped yeah. in what was culturally yeah. relevant at the time. Definitely. And I feel, even though Freaked is not as bad at that as, like, early Family Guy, or <laughs> Family Guy is in general of that. Mm-hmm. Oh, Sure. But the, I, it, it's peppered throughout. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's there. It's clearly like even this, and that's one thing I love about the, even the special effects. Freaked is a definitively '90s production. Yeah, got the that good old claymation the in there. Good old uh, over over uh, exposed or over exaggerated costumes for the freaks. It's great. Well, you know, like again, even the color scheme, how things are just like every element of this movie is '90s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. You're right. And I think that also like. Another reason why I don't understand why this film is not more popular is like the special effects. They don't make movies like this anymore. Like I know one of the popular. I'm trying to think. What was the, what was the movie? There's there's one movie I, I forgot what it was. Where it's like this is the last time Hollywood did like any sort of like tangible special. Like this was the last tangible <laughs> special effects film. Oh okay. And yet you look at Freaked, and there's very like I know a couple of times like Alex Winter's like oh there's an optical shot that cost half the budget. Hmm. Yet very little of this film is digital, like with digital effects, yeah, yeah, or digital compositing, and that alone, considering that like we live in the era and it's not as bad now as it was maybe four or five years ago, where everything has to be practical effects. Oh, if anything has digital effects, we hate it. We hate yeah, it. Yeah. And yet this film is hundred and ten percent outside. Okay, ninety eight percent practical <laughs> effects. And and one of the clever things you can do, I, and I would imagine Alex Winter probably didn't even think of it this way when he. I don't want to keep saying him. I'm just saying him because he's the one that everybody knows. Yeah, sure. But but you'd hope him and Tom Stern were, were maybe clever enough to think. It's kind of like what James Cameron did with uh, the T-1000 in Terminator 2. Mm-hmm. James Cameron knew he had very limited CGI abilities. Yes. And so he made his villain, the, or I guess the main attribute of the villain, into what the furthest he could take special effects at the time. Mm-hmm. And I have a feeling... The directors, uh, Alex Winter and Tom Stern, were able to do that with this. They kept the special effects contained in the universe of what the 90s were. Okay, okay, I gotcha, yeah. Like, think about whether it be the, um, the, the, the shoe monster that Skuggs turns the executives into at the end. <laughs> yeah. Now that's early, big shoe. <laughs> or Stewie and... Uh, uh, souped up, uh, freaked Ricky. Yeah, every all the special effects are directly tied into the aesthetic that the film was made in. Yep, absolutely. And yet, a lot of people, like, or I think, so, like, people don't look at the T one thousand from Terminator two, be like, oh, look at how limited the effects were at that time. It's oh wow, look at how much they were able to do. Like, look at how much that character can do as a villain. Yeah, it's it's about them, you know, the people who create these, you know, knowing what they have at their disposal, knowing their limitations, and knowing how to capitalize on it. Exactly, because like, when I looked at Freak, and I imagine I, I'm in the minority with this, though, a lot of people would look at the special effects and be like, oh, look at how archaic and limited they are. Mm-hmm. I, I look at it and I'm like, oh, this 
perfectly reflects 90s culture at the time. Yeah, and it, it pulls off what they need it to pull off. Like, it, it, you're never like, uh, at least for me with the special effects, I'm never like, oh, that doesn't look right. Like, I, I buy what they're selling me. Yeah, I, and I don't see any strings. I think there's one point where Ricky rips the head off the EES like, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, agent or representatives. <laughs> and during the commentary, he's like, we ran out of money for this shot. So all you see is like the black velvet, we had, like, the black felt we had to use to hide his body. <laughs> um, and like, yes, there's things like that though. But like, I don't think anybody watching this movie is gonna pick that pick that out unless they're unless it's highlighted for them. They're minor. They're these uh, little flaws or whatever you want to call them are minor enough. Yeah. Like, there's a lot going on in Freight. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, absolutely. And I think maybe another reason why you don't get this film like re-released is that there are you know I don't agree with it. I think there are. Uh, sexist things in this film. There are obviously, I don't want to say homophobic. That's not the right word though, but like condescending to homosexuals. Mm-hmm. Like I know there's the one point where Skuggs is like in the first performance of, of Ricky as a freak boy. Yeah. He's, or he's like, if anybody here with delicate sensibilities might consider on leaving and you have Alex winter. And I think it's what Tom Stearns as, as, as two, as a gay couple, just get out yeah. and walk out. The, yeah. The theater. <laughs> Yeah. And like, I would imagine you couldn't air that today. Like, okay, let's say we are the programming director of Adult Swim, and we That's love this point. film. Do we edit that scene out? Yeah, yeah. I guess that would come down to you know what can a uh, what can late night programming get away with compared to what can anything get away with? You know, because I feel like back in the day, you might be like, oh, it's late night. Like, you know, not a lot of people are going to see it. Everybody sees everything because the internet now. You know, like you can't hide from the uh, the PC police. So I don't know. They'd have to. I guess they'd have to do some type of like you know, risk analysis on will it be worth the amount of flack that they get for showing this at like two in the morning? I have no idea. And and that's why I mean that. That might be even another element to the reason why Freak hasn't reappeared because it does have. Yeah, yeah. Like it. I know even in the commentary, there's numerous times where um, Alex Winter will call someone a retard. Like I, <laughs> I think when um when uh, Julie shows up in the film, he'll turn around and whoever the actress's name is. Megan mm-hmm. Ward, he'll be like, "Oh yeah, she was stacked," and it's like, and like he'll say things like that. And I don't, I have also, and it's weird because this, I would imagine this commentary was recorded sometime in the probably I think I don't know when we gotta look up real quick when the Freak DVD was released. Oh yeah, I wouldn't know. Even in the 2011 podcasting that he recorded on the projection booth, his humor doesn't seem to have changed that much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I that's don't, true. And I don't know how much of this, too, is the fact where, considering that how much Alex Winter is tied to this film, could he even maybe be like, you know what, I don't want to deal with the flack from ah. this? Because, like, like, I think about, like, this gets, like, let's say this does, re- let's say, for example, somebody does re-air this on, whether it be Cartoon, uh, Cartoon Network mm-hmm. or Turner Classic Movies, and something like that does come out. Alex Winter will get flack for it. Yeah, If, yeah, if anybody right. sees it. You are absolutely right. Yeah, I didn't think about that. But no, like the all the thing. There's the um, the bestiality joke with the heavy petting zoo. I'm sure that <laughs> wouldn't fly over too well. Well, that, <laughs> that's. I don't think there's any bestiality advocates out there that oh, would be offended. Oh. But there are. Like, I don't think though. I don't think the weird thing with today's culture is that like any humor can fly as mm-hmm. long as it's not targeted at a special interest group. Yeah. Yeah. Yet the whole point. Yet if you look at the whole thesis of the film, Ricky is a rich, white, entitled guy, like, like yep. a famous celebrity. 
Like the whole film is just mocking how stupid he is <laughs> <Yep>. until he eventually <laughs> learns to become a better person because he learns exactly. to care for the freaks. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like when that um, documentary came out about like Apu and the guys like the Simpsons should be off the air because oh, yeah. th- they tainted Indian uh, Indian culture. And yet people are like, do you not realize that Homer Simpson is a definition, the personification of a dumb white guy? Yeah, exactly. It's like, are you missing the forest through the trees here? Where like the the whole point of the Simpsons is that everybody's stupid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and like and you ha- and they did. Yet, yet one person gets offended by it. Mm-hmm. And the Simpsons, I think it was really interesting. The Simpsons had like, had like an episode where they look at a picture of Apu, and like Marge and Lisa are like, whatever, who cares? And people got offended at that. It's like, how dare you not <laughs> comment on this guy's film? And like, the guy's missing the point of the show. If he's just running, yeah. the guy's also trying to. He's making money off something, whether he believes it's a, a, an issue for another day. Exactly. But like, I wonder. If even like Alex Winter, maybe even like I don't know who produced, um, you know, a Fox owns the film. Maybe mm-hmm. Alex Winter has a production company that might have a stake in it and might have a maybe a very small controlling interest in it. Yeah, like, you know, he yeah, might not want it out there. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. That's a good point. Man, we yeah. have a lot of we have a lot of theories for this now. <laughs> this is a very who would have thought in a freak episode there'd be so much philosophy? Involved? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I don't know though. Like, I, I, there is a lot in this film too. Like, there is like I wouldn't call this like a PC crossing film, like where it crosses lines. I agree. It's it never it never really goes over the top. It goes over the top with everything though. Like well, well, have, over the over the top in, in with the senses we talked about, not over the top in the terms of its offensibility. Well, I think in a weird way, like I, I don't think there's any part of this movie that's reserved. Outside sure, of sure. outside of things like Randy Quaid's performance, which are intentionally reserved. Yeah, yeah. Like you think about Stewie, for example. Stewie, I, I love. Like, that's one point. I, I love everything. About, like, I love even the performance of the actor as Stewie. Because I know in the the uh, bonus features Rob had me watching, mm-hmm. they have like the audition tapes for Stewie, whose actor is. Ooh, I don't Stewie. know that one off the top of my head. <laughs> okay, we're, uh, Stewie Gluck is played by Alex Zuckerman. I don't know if he went on to do anything else after this, though. But even in the audition tapes, you can hear Alex Winter like coaching him. Like he'll be like, "But Ricky," and like every single take, they have him do it more and more exaggerated. Nice. And like I think about Stewie's a kid, yet he gets dropped. He gets hit by a, a, a what's it called in the uh, the airplane the. Oh my lord! Concession cart was there a name? For oh, it? oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The the cart, the drink cart, food cart, whatever. It's yeah, the food yeah, cart, gets, drink cart. He gets rammed by it. <laughs> he gets rammed by it. He gets knocked out the airplane. Mm-hmm. He gets thrown through numerous uh, magazine and newspaper editors' windows. Yes. Or, or uh, door window panes. It's like. Did you see the uh, deleted scene where he, he he's getting tortured? Oh yeah, yeah. Bob yeah, Vila's yeah. torturing him, and he, he's like sanding his back. Stewie's like strapped with his stomach down on the table, and Bob Vila like has a sander or something, and he's like running it along his back. And Bob Vila says something. He's like, "You can read all about this in my book, Bob Vila's Pipes, Fixtures, and Torturing Trolls." <laughs> <laughs> well, that's okay. That's the part that's funny though, because there are, like, again, it's it's over the top, but it's at least playing to a specific uh, a joke. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I don't know, though. There's so many, like, even though it's not a very, uh, that's the weird thing, though. It's like, I don't know. Everybody's so easily offended. I would imagine someone would get, like, the, the, the gay couple walking out, I would imagine they'd be offended by um, the Rastafarian eyeballs. Someone would be offended about that. That's appropriation. 
Like that's cultural <laughs> appropriation. It's like why are they why do they have Uzis? You're implying that Jamaicans are are le- are uh, uh, a violent culture. Like that's the thing. Like I don't know how much of this is just like you know what this film was a product of the ni- the early nineties, the MTV culture nineties, where pretty much anything went. Uh, again, there's so many. <laughs> we keep bringing it up, kind of uh, in a very shorthand way, but there are so many Gonzo elements in this film. Oh yeah. That that could be misconstrued as offensive. Okay, okay, or, yeah, I, I, I can see that. Definitely, yeah, definitely. Some there are people out there who would take issue with multiple parts of this movie. Absolutely, yeah, I, I, I get behind that for sure. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know because certain films are able to get away with stuff. Like, I think if this film was mm-hmm. made in 1980, I think there's also a weird thing where we're going. Like, who knows? Freak could have a revival. Oh yeah, um, anything. Like, like think of like all these movies that came out during the eighties that are just now, within the last five to ten years, finding their like, like uh, John Carpenter's The Thing. Mm-hmm. This is a film that nobody took seriously when it came out. It was released on DVD. It was always a cult classic. People always appreci- appreciate. Yeah, it. Yeah, I, I remember watching that when I was like eleven or something. Of course you did. And yeah, actually, it's actually one of my mother's favorite movies. Well, well, okay. See, there you go. And so. <laughs> But yet, like just now, is the thing catching on? Like you'll see the yes. thing. I forget what I think it was. I think it's on the Sci-Fi Channel now. It airs probably like monthly. It'll show up okay. like on a Saturday afternoon. The thing had a revival. Freaked could have a revival. Who I knows? think. We're, I think we're. I think we're just now starting to get into '90s nostalgia. Yeah, yeah. I think because I think uh, Hollywood and entertainment culture as a whole is still mining the '80s. Mm-hmm. I look we at Stranger Things. We're ready to move on. We're ready to march forward slowly but surely, right? But I don't think so. I think I think with things like Stranger Things, we're still mine. Like, look at the new Halloween remake. God damn it, we're still yeah, yeah. mining '80s nostalgia. But that's what you're saying. You're saying we're on like the cusp of it, on the precipice. We're not I there hope yet. We are. I, I that's hope what I'm saying are. too. I, I'm I'm hoping. I'm ready. We. I think I speak for both of us, Zach. We are ready to keep moving forward. Well. For, for the for the record, I don't want any nostalgia. I think every culture should try to do it. The same reason why the '90s weren't trying to copy the '80s. Mm-hmm. I really hope that we stop. Like we really abandon this idea of like oh, we have to go back yeah, in time yeah. well, for the basis of our culture. <laughs> well, yeah, I know that's a, that's a far fetched dream. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, yeah. We can always hope, though. We can hope for the yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe freak will be. I guess it maybe all all it takes is one person in power. Or with some level of influence, I think that all Kanye has to do is tweet out the the wrench hammer scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We that's we all just, it would take. Exactly, just like I was saying. Name. Just like I was saying to start, you know, you need that someone to get it, everybody else to latch onto it, and whether that be just a tiny little meme or it's someone famous who pushes it forward, there needs to be that catalyst. Absolutely. But I think it's weird though. Like you do have things like red letter media. Mm-hmm. Or like all the other like nostalgia themed YouTube channels that do have followings. Yeah, like yeah. like let's take Red Letter Media for example. And yes, they try to do obscure. Like they have a thing called Review where they'll, they, they they talk about like an older film. By mm-hmm. older, I mean not a, a blockbuster or something that's just released into theaters. Yeah, and they'll talk about like they've done an episode on Blade Runner. They've done one on the Thing. They've done like they're they're picking low hanging fruit. Yeah, they did. Uh, one of the only ones I've seen of review. I haven't watched all a lot of them, but I they did one on Eraserhead. Yeah, they did one on Eraserhead, and like, and that's another weird thing that I think we've discussed. It might be edited out. I'm not sure, but we talked about Eraserhead and the fact that people like there's a 
anti-David Lynch thing going on right now. Yeah, where people are yeah. calling him overrated. Mm-hmm. And yet you have like you have things like we're like when we were in high school, racer was this thing nobody ever heard of. Now I think if you went around to a bunch of like people that were our age and we saw a racer head that were into movies, I would say probably at least ten percent, maybe even twenty, have probably seen it. Yeah, yeah, it's got uh, more of a um, uh, cultural footprint, a more noticeable cultural f- footprint now. I th- yes, and it's also much more accessible. Like when we yeah, got yeah. into a racer head, all you could do is get the DVD from like weird outlets, like mm-hmm. Borders. Yeah. I think Amazon just had it as a third party thing. I don't even think they sold it like okay, as a okay. as like Amazon proper. And I think that's another element of Freak. Like is Freak the? Div- I don't think Freak is on Netflix, Hulu, Amazon. Nope, it um, is. I, I checked Netflix and Hulu, and I, I could not find it. Didn't didn't get the chance to check Amazon. Yeah, I think that again, that's another element to um, Freak's disappearance. Yeah, is yeah, that yeah. it's not accessible. Mm-hmm. Unless you want, like, I, I, looked, I just checked on eBay while we were talking, and the Blu-ray goes for like eighty dollars now. Ooh, damn! But but if you want the DVD that Rob and I have, you can get it for in the ballpark of. I know there's one on eBay right now that like without the slip cover, like I I, I don't have the slip cover. Mm-hmm. You can get it for like twelve dollars with free shipping. Okay. Which is a, which is a steal for this movie. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I think so. Like it's there, but. Like, I don't know. Like, there's so many, like, uh, as Rob knows, when it came to picking movies for the month of Monstober, there are so many niche, weird gonzo movies out yep. there. Mm-hmm. But uh, with that being said, I think Freaked rises to the top of the, to the top of the pile. I really, oh, yeah. like, as much as I, like, we'll discuss, even though we haven't decided yet, though, where, <laughs> even though I love things like Beetlejuice and Creepshow... I think Freaked, considering its budgetary limitations, is much more imaginative than those two. Mm-hmm. And, and Beetlejuice is considered one of the, the hallmarks of family-friendly horror entertainment. Yes. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. You know, Rob and I like Freaked. I think it's also very calloused. Mm-hmm. It's, not, it's not warm and cuddly like Beetlejuice yeah, or yeah. Nightmare Before Christmas are. Yeah, uh, that, that's a really good point that, you know, it is... Um, rough around the edges for sure for a lot of the reasons we talked about and you know kind of uh, just the whole package of it it's it's not as smoothed over refined or you're made to be kind of you know that wide reaching as a family friendly friendly horror movie like uh, Nightmare Before Christmas would I guess okay let's see if, I want to see if you disagree I want to see if you agree with me but I'll let you talk some more is that <laughs> Freak is incredibly well crafted yet it's not a very slick film yeah, I would agree with that. I, when I when I think of well crafted, I mean in terms of um, it is put together with the effects, with the sound, with the visuals. It's a movie, you know, it's a movie, uh, but it's not slick in that you can notice the bumps, like the editing, the 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 weird kind of pictures. Is that what you're getting at? Like when the the finer details aren't smoothed over. Well, I don't even mean slick as in, like, editing-wise or, like, okay, production okay. quality. I mean, like, just how it looks. Like, it doesn't have, like, Nightmare Before Christmas, mm, even though it has sure. very weird imagery, it is a, um... It's, it's, it's crisp. Sl- it's crisp. This is the 25th anniversary of Nightmare Before Christmas. Mm-hmm. You can find all the merchandise in every Halloween store you go to this time of year. Oh, yeah. It's that, it's, even though it's a very, it's, again, I think Freaked... And Nightmare Before Christmas are just as well crafted as films. I think I think they are considering they're they probably were released within a few months of each other in 1993. Yeah. I think on a uh, production level they could stand toe to toe. Yet 
I don't. I think there's a weird again, just in the the art art direction, production mm-hmm. design. Yeah. Whereas even though there are it, it, Nightmare Before Christmas has weird imagery, it, there is something warm and cuddly to it. Oh yeah, absolutely. Freaked is not warm and cuddly. No, no, not at all. <laughs> Everything is supposed is to be, you know, hideous mutant freaks, you know, that type of stuff. Yeah, and, for sure. And I, think, and I think that's another element that makes Freaked a cinemodity in that Nightmare Before Christmas and Beetlejuice mm-hmm. and Freaked are all going for this, this same sort of, like, family-friendly, weird aesthetic. Because think about it. A uh, freak ends with kind of like an all's well that ends well message. Yeah, it's like yeah. Ricky, Ricky has an arc. The bad guy is defeated. All the characters except for one are brought back to their normal human forms. Mm-hmm. You have that weird discrepancy though, where it's like you could like if somebody like if, let's say Rob has to watch, I don't know, cousins or something, sure. and Rob would have no problem. Would not be afraid of like I, I don't know. Let's say Rob's mother or parents ask him to watch somebody's children. I don't know why, but let's just say that happens. <laughs> Rob would have no problem showing an eight-year-old Nightmare Before Christmas yeah, or yeah. Beetlejuice. Yet, I think Rob would be apprehensive to show an eight-year-old freak. Yeah. Yeah, I, for many reasons. <laughs> <laughs> and I the think the content like, of the movie definitely being one of them, yeah. Yeah, even though Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice has sexual undertones to it. Mm-hmm. Like the whole fact that Beetlejuice wants to marry a child. Yeah, yeah. I think that a part of it is... Uh, I know... Uh, not to return to the circular uh, explanation we had before, but it's that name branding. You know, when I'm thinking about watching kids and it's like the kid, I have no problem. The kid's like, we watched Nightmare Before Christmas or Beetlejuice. The parents going to be like, great. I know that movie. But if, if a kid's like, we watch Freaked, the parents going to be like, what the <laughs> fuck is that? Like, is that porn? You know, like, what did you do? And so it's that same level of exposure, you know, it's yeah. Yeah. I, I totally, I, I get what you're saying. Um, and I agree with your assessment of, you know, it's they're on the same production level, but one is slicker than the other. Sure. Absolutely. All right, Rob, what do you have? OK, I feel like for a Rob's favorite episode, I'm talking too much. <laughs> no, that was good. I like, you know, I like the existential discussion, <laughs> but I think we've had plenty of that. Yeah, a lot of good stuff in there. Steer me away from that, please. I think I think the only things that I really have left is I want to point out some of my favorite jokes in this. Because I think there's some that maybe, because I've seen this so many times, there's some that I, I really, really like. I don't know if Zach picked up on. Um, they're a little more, you know, the way that characters are moving, body comedy. Um, and after that, I think we have to talk about the real questions, our snacks and whatnot. So um, I would be absolutely remiss. I mentioned it already. The plane joke. I absolutely love this joke. It was one of the funniest things. Uh, when I saw it, it's still one of the funniest things to me. They're on. They, uh, Zach described. There's a whole scene where our characters and Stewie are on an airplane, uh, but the airplane lands, and uh, you hear. Well, basically, we hear Ricky's voice as a voiceover, and there's a shot of an airplane landing in the process of landing, and Ricky goes, "Oh, wonderful Santa Flan, home of blah blah blah," and he's talking about the place. The plane hits the ground and explodes. Full on explosion of the plane. Camera cuts out to Ricky and Ernie. I think it's Ernie. And they're just standing there watching this plane explode. And he goes, good thing that wasn't our plane. <laughs> this is such a simple joke. But this, like, just like the Ramada in joke, this changed my life when I saw it. Because it totally got me. Hook, line, and sinker. Like, the switch 
was perfect. It was absolutely brilliant. I love that joke. Uh, that should be the meme as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> you see a plane explode and then just the words, glad that wasn't our plane. That would probably offend some people today. <laughs> I don't even in that scene too, in the background, you'll see like, like one of the plane tires hit like a cab in the back. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's, it's fucking great. <laughs> so I had to mention that one. That might be my favorite joke in the whole movie. That and the Ramada Intel's are the top two. In the first scene, though, our first uh, boardroom scene, where we have Ricky and his posse, and um, William Sadler is trying to get him to be the spokesperson for EES and Zygrot 24. And so he's like, we'll pay you $1 million, I think. And Ricky's like, ah, no, I don't want to be, you know, isn't that stuff illegal? I don't want to be associated with it. And so William Sadler goes, what about? Five million, and as he says five million, the person behind him has like an easel with the with cards on it that says one million. He removes it. It says five million. Ricky thinks about it. Ricky looks at like two people of his posse. Both of them shake their heads. No. He looks back at the EES people, and the dude holding the cards on the easel looks like he's ready to remove the card. Like there's going to be more money, and Ricky says yes. Like, I love the way that they're like, come on, we have another offer for you. And people are telling him no. And he's just like, two thumbs up. <laughs> and that kicks everything, you know, into full gear. And he gets on the airplane and stuff like that. I love that. Uh, <laughs> I, love, I love the use of the easel in this movie. And I think that brings me back to another point I have to mention. Zach, do you remember our Total Recall episode? With Ray Baker, the salesman? Oh, yeah. He's... The EES guy. He's the guy they steal from Pepsi in this movie. And he's playing the same character, the fast-talking salesman. And I, I love when, you know, he's... Ray Baker's going on his rant, and he's about like, we, he's like, we could create a whole new consumer, you know? And Randy Quaid says to William Sadler, like, oh, this guy's good. <laughs> he says, we stole him from Pepsi. And then the next line Ray Baker has is, right here, right now. <laughs> and... That is a dated joke because I, I think you have to understand the Crystal Pepsi ad campaign to get that joke. Yeah, Why he's another, saying right here, right joke. now. Yeah. But that, if you get it, that's funny. I love just the fact that he's stolen from a soft drink corporation. Like that in and of itself is good. But then getting him to use the Pepsi slogan, it just is like the cherry on top. Good old Ray Baker. I hope we have like um, we got to find what else he was in. What are they, <laughs> where he played salesman. <laughs> Okay. The, I think the other one I want to think about, uh, talk about, sorry. I love just the concept of Laughing Man. So in this movie, there's a, for a very big part of it, there's someone that Randy Quaid is talking to only on the telephone. And it's his, like, supplier for the Zygrot 24 and to, like, make more freaks. And this person only talks in laughs on the phone. <laughs> and very, very greatly... We get the scene where Randy Quaid is speaking English, and the person on the other end of the phone is just like, ha, 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 And then Randy Quaid says, can you spell that for me? <laughs> Could you uh, spell that? <laughs> yes, uh, well, you, you take it easy, too, Rappi. Asshole. Like, that is just, that is just genius, I think. Like, that is just a funny, funny concept. 
And, you know, I think there's a, the whole thing where Randy Quaid is like the laughing man is an asshole and he like gets hung up on and he calls the laughing man like a prick or something. Oh, it's just that that little bit of reserve, you know, that Randy Quaid is playing. He's treating it like a regular business phone call. It's great. <laughs> oh, the other one I want to mention. It'll be the last one because uh, I have to. Uh, it'll it'll take us into our snack. I mean, after the styrofoam cup line, when Randy Quaid is like going into his barn to see where the noise of the styrofoam cup came from. You know, like the freaks are, are trying to make the antidote or whatever, and it's like the really suspenseful part. But when the freaks look over, like the doorknob to the barn is turning incredibly slowly, like to build suspense. And it cuts out and it shows that the reason the doorknob is moving so slowly is because Randy Quaid is having a hard time opening it because he's been eating fiddle faddle and his hands are greasy. And he has a wonderful line Goddamn buttered popcorn. <laughs> He's trying to open this door and he's like, God damn, buttered popcorn. And just like we've been saying, he's reserved. He's like whispering it almost. Damn, buttered popcorn. That is so funny. So, Zach, if you have nothing left to say about Freaks, that's going to be my first pitch for snack. God damn, buttered popcorn. No, that's, it's, it might be fiddle faddle. But on the menu, it's going to be called Goddamn Buttered Popcorn. <laughs> and maybe we make our own fiddle faddle or something like that. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I haven't had well, fiddle faddle in so long. Two things I want to bring about Freak before we move into snacks. Sure. One, we have a tie-in to another cinemati that I don't think Rob Ooh. picked up on. The composer for this was Kevin Kiner. Oh? Who, who also scored Star Wars The Clone Wars. I did not pick up on that one, but that is fucking great. That's awesome. That that is a that is fantastic. I remember I remember why I rewatched this a couple months ago. I was like, oh my god! I'm like, is that him? And I looked, and he he also did Star Wars Rebels. He did CSI Miami, <laughs> Walker Texas Ranger. I've definitely yeah. heard the name Kevin Kiner before. So okay, yeah. So we have another tie into another cinema. Nice, right on. Look at that. See, Freak ties into everything. Yes, it's the universal movie. <laughs> and then the last thing is, is that I don't. I think I brought it's mentioned heavily in the projection booth episode, which we'll mm-hmm. link to in this in the show notes. Sure. Is the Freak novelization? Oh yes, yes. It's it's a, a huge talking point in episode. They talk about it a lot. <laughs> they, they're amazed by it. And the thing that makes me so angry is that in that episode, they talk about you can buy it for under $5 on Amazon. Yeah, that was and back yet, I guess back then, like seven years ago, now it's like minimum $40. And just yeah. another example of this film being a oddity, you can't, I, I, nobody knows what the cover of this book looks like. You can okay. type it in, and all you get is like a temp image <laughs> that says Freaked with the uh, author who adapted it, Tob Strasser. Mm-hmm. And it says, This is not, and it says in fine print, this is not the cover of this book. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so did I you think, buy it, Zach? Did you go out and drop I'm the really, $40? I, I'm tempted to say, I have some Amazon gift cards. Ooh. Now I'm hoping to, like, once I get to like the $30 range, like when we like drop in like 10 bucks on it. Mm hmm. I will get this because I really one thing they talk about is that they explain that like Stewie is like a serial killer. Oh, yeah. Okay. 
And I really, and plus, I just love the idea of like a freak novelization. I know the toy. Yeah. We also didn't mention the fact that the freak toys. There are freak toys out there. Mm-hmm. There's there's Ricky, which is like extremely hard to come by. Ernie and Julie. Yeah. yeah there's there's, yeah. there's Dog Boy Ooh. and there's Cowboy, and that's nice. it. And I didn't even know this. That apparently, they were only released to like dollar stores because oh no stores, like no like Kmart's or Walmart's, wanted them because it was merchandise for a film that never got released. So like you could get them for like for a dollar, and now because like most of them are like thrown out because nobody wanted them. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So if you find them on eBay, they're extremely rare. Plus, and it's mentioned that they're ex- they're made as such poor quality plastic. They're extremely <laughs> yes. fragile. Mm-hmm. So. This is another movie, the kind of how we talked about with Gremlins 2, where we have a physical cinematity. Yep. We kind of have that in the version we have merchandise. For, I think this is this yeah. the first, I guess, outside of like Batman versus Superman and like really super duper commercial films. Mm-hmm. This is like a true cinematity that has merchandise for it. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Right on. I dig it. I, yeah, I'm interested in the books and the action figures, but I'm, I'm going to keep an eye out for them, but I don't know if I'm going to spend $40 on a book that I'd have to find time to read, you know? <laughs> oh, boy. But, uh, no, one last thing about Freak. My, my, probably my favorite joke in the film, this is right now, this could very okay. change a day, week, month, a year from now, Sure, yeah. is when, when, like Rob said, Ricky is with uh, Skuggs and with the Fiddle Faddle, we cut over to Toad and he's reading National Review. <laughs> I find that absolutely hysterical that we have a character that doesn't talk, all he does is just eat random crap that crosses his path yeah. in his spare time he likes reading national review which is a very conservative periodical yeah <laughs> i think like that's like that's where this film shines at its best is when it does something so irreverent mm-hmm. that you couldn't th- that's one joke you couldn't see coming though but um getting into snacks uh they're much like how we discussed with goosebumps i think this film has a treasure trove of snack ideas oh yeah oh yeah like the goddamn buttered popcorn <laughs> well of course um i think what I, you would have to do something with zygote 24 yeah that's what i was thinking i so let's see if we're on the same page i was thinking like a shake like a milkshake or a float type of thing with the actual lo- with the actual zygote 24 like this will make you a mutant Oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> or we take the other route of this, and you do freaked macaroons. Yeah, yeah. The other two snacks I had written down, Zach just mentioned. <laughs> see, I, I see. I went from the wool hanging fruit. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I like the Zygrot 24. There's probably, like, a lot that can be done with that. Like, I'm thinking of a shake or a drink type of thing because of, you know, the way that it comes out. It's got, like, that soft serve ice cream machine type of look to it in the movie. Um, but I'm sure, you know, we could come up with something cool with do with Zygrot 24, like maybe like a, some dish with a Zygrot 24 sauce type of thing <laughs> and turn you into a mutant, like guaranteed. Okay, cool. And that's All not, right, that's not stated anywhere on the menu of the Cinemodities restaurant. Like or, you just have to know it. <laughs> or while you're eating it, you get turned to a mutant and for dessert, you have to have the macaroon that t- turns you back. Oh, so the, f- what about this? When they order... Like, it wouldn't just be a freaked dish. They would order, like, the freaked three-course meal, where they would start with the goddamn buttered popcorn, <laughs> then they'd have the main entree that turns them into a freak, and then they have to eat the macaroon to become normal again. I like it. Kids are going to want to have their birthday party there. I think so. Well, I, yeah. I, they were going to have their birthday parties there before <laughs> the freak dish. Yeah, what kid now is they have to have the, their party there. The caviar fountain, right? That's every kid's dream. 
the fountain that comes out of a wall. It's not a fountain that comes like from like a gra- ground up. It comes sideways. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I guess that's more of like um, it's like a spring of caviar, not a fountain. Like a, like a like a like a spring in the side of a mountain or something where the water I, shoots I, out. I of. guess is that what we're calling caviar, it? We have a caviar spring, and then the and then the vegan option is the salt dyed black spring, <laughs> but those aren't labeled either. So good luck. <laughs> Oh my god! Um, all right, okay. uh, I have no more snacks. Like I, I think you could do. Like, okay, I love to do like a cake in the shape of like Ricky's head. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you know what would probably be not too difficult if you can make a cake, assuming you can bake a cake. So I, I don't bake uh, too much, and I don't do cakes, so I'd have to practice that. But if you make a cake, I think that you might be able to design the cake in the shape of uh, Stewie's drawing of Ricky, like the 2D drawing that gets like published in the National Enquirer or whatever, like make that the top of the cake. So it wouldn't be like a 3D cake. It would be like a, like a Carvel oh, cake, okay. but it would just be that picture. Like that would be the design. That would probably like, like be Like screen easy. printed? You could do screen printed, but I was thinking that you actually draw it with frosting. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like you'd actually, like you'd, you'd make the cake and then when you frost it, you draw that picture as the design. And hell, I would say you even try and shape the cake so that the outline of the cake is the outline of the picture. I want to go on Cake Boss and be like, make me a cake that looks like Alex Winter's head from Freaked. That would be great. <laughs> I want that. They could do it. I want that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right on. Like, right on. If I ever win the lottery, first place I'm going to is Cake Boss and be like, shut up. Here's $60,000. Bake me a Freaked cake. First place I'm going to is Cake Boss. That's a great. I, I like that phrase. That should be um, Cinemodities merchandise. Not the whole sentence though. If I win a million dollars, first thing I'm doing is going to Cake Boss. Just that. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, I want Zygrot 24 inside the cake. So when, it's, it's like the caramel center of the cake. Yeah. So it like oozes out when you cut into it. Oh, I've got an idea. You have the 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 Ricky freaked cake, and for frosting, it's Zygrot twenty four, so like it glows in the dark. Glow yeah. in the dark frosting. There you go. How is that not a million dollar idea? Think about. It. Imagine all these kids have birthday parties and cakes. Glow in the dark frosting. Uh, uh, I I do not I do not know anything about. Well, I guess I shouldn't say anything. Uh, to to my knowledge, the concept of something glowing in the dark is that the material it's made out of like absorbs light energy and then can reflect it. Like when light is not there, do we have an edible version of that material? <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's like airheads that like glow in the dark. Like when oh, like, oh, then, then there's gods. Yeah, then perfect. Yeah, we could do that. Glow in the dark uh, frosting on our cake, and whenever anybody orders it, we turn off all the lights in the entire restaurant, like even the kitchen. <laughs> there we go. So everybody has to has to deal with what was ordered. <laughs> Fantastic, folks. We see we're just breaking new ground with this menu every single day. Oh yeah. Uh, okay, Rob. Freaked. Cinemati and or late night movie. Yes, for both. <laughs> Cinemati, I think for the whole for the whole package that we discussed at the beginning, for all the reasons we discussed as this episode of the podcast continued. Um, it really is an anomaly in the truest form, I would say, and it's great, and I love it, and just the way I found it, how unique it is, and, you know, uh, very few movies make me laugh as consistently and as frequently as this one does. Late night movie, um, like I said before, you know, I've not had some great experiences with people watching this movie, because, I don't know, they're stuck up. (laughs) I I know one of them listens to this podcast, so talking to you, uh... 
I think I haven't shown it to people in a long, long time. I've just kind of kept it for myself. But it, it might come back around after this conversation. I might just, you know, go with the good old adage of getting someone in my cluster, in my in my clutches, and forcing her to watch a movie. You know, freaked, freaked fits that bill. Once again, Rob is trying to make this movie into something like used to rape somebody, like he did Spirit Away. <laughs> Rob does not know how to sell cinemati, folks. We have to. Uh, indoctrinate him how they said so the, the only way you sell anything is by forcefully making someone consume it you like you know that's that's what i learned like you go to like uh like you got flea markets or whatever and people are just like they have like a bracelet or jewelry and they'll put it on you like without you knowing and then they'll be like pay for it that's the only way to make money Zach. <laughs> so it's like it's like a reverse form of like pickpocketing <laughs> yeah yeah it's like you're forcing something on them yep <laughs> I dig, uh, it. I dig it. So yeah, I, I would say I would say the late night movie. I'm going to say yes. I think it's going to come back in fashion. I'm going to be trying to bring it back. You know, maybe I'll show it in in a class next time I teach. Well, okay. So <laughs> so a uh, definite cinematic for me. For sure. Hundred and ten percent. Definite late night movie. I think this is definitely in the Hall of Fame. Right if on. there ever if there ever was a movie that could come close to challenging Eraserhead in the this the cinematis magnum opus i think it would be this it, it checks every single box in okay. a way that I, I don't think any other movie could great um the hu- i think the fact that the humor is so hit or miss i think is adds to its cinematis level of being a cinematis okay okay i think i think if it was a film that appealed to everybody on a comedic level i think that would take away like a cinematis has to be yeah we've talked about that before it can't be yeah perfectly accessible you need that the roughness you need that kind of you know the jagged edges that people might pick up and be like oh this is cutting me why did you give this to me yeah a cinematic <laughs> need a, a, a hallmark of a cinematic needs to be disenfranchising yeah i i do agree with you on that on that if a cinematic it, uh, it can't be a hit you know it can't be like a mainstream everybody loves it type of thing no a cinematic needs to alienate its audience and i think freak does that very well I'll probably decide this definitively at the end of our Monstober series, but there's a very, very real chance that Freaked is the movie I show on Halloween. If 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 it doesn't right rain, on, right there's on. a very... Because I feel it's a movie that people will come up to me and be like, oh, what are you watching this year? Mm-hmm. I'll be like, Freaked! I will be I will be that Adult Swim programmer. Yeah. I will be that TCM underground. <laughs> I will air it on my own, my own channel, on the side of my house, and I'll be like... Go watch this movie. Maybe instead of giving out candy, I'll give out copies of Freak to the kids. That, if you can find the, oh, I'm guessing you would make the copies, right? Oh, uh, it's not like you're no, going to go buy a of bunch course of not. I would, I would definitely sell legally obtained copies of the film to. <laughs> yes, you had to go. You had to go buy them all. You have to find yes. the remaining reserve in in, in the world. <laughs> buy like the last twenty copies on eBay right now and hand them out on Halloween to kids. Yeah, that it'd be. You should like advertise that, you know. First twenty trick or treaters get a copy of free. <laughs> oh, for the Cinematis restaurant, instead of like a bowl of like mints and like toothpicks, you have copies of Freak. <laughs> and is there a little TV with a DVD player at the table, like the Daily Planet has those jukeboxes? No, no. You take a copy as you're leaving. That's what you're, you're getting. Oh, like, okay. Like, like, a, like a mint gift. when you leave. Okay. Yes, that's what it is. You know, you don't watch. You could. Like, that's, you have to call ahead. We'll get. We will find a TV and a DVD player yeah. for you if you want to watch free <laughs> while you eat. Like, yeah. I'm not ruling that out, but there will be a little bowl where you can, there'll be copies of Freaked waiting for you if you want to take one. I love it. That's awesome. That's that's really cool. I like that idea. <laughs> Good. I'm glad. I'm glad you have come around to this, Zach, and you've loved it. 
and now you love it. We will continue to love it, right? I will, I will, I will champion this film every chance that I get. Okay. Well, I guess there's there's one thing I have to I have to say. We might have to do an update on this, but I did look up how to make glow in the dark like edible things. Apparently, all you need is Jello, regular water, and tonic water. I don't believe this right now, but I'm gonna look into this to see if I can. Make it. <laughs> Because I don't think if you just mix fucking Jello, tonic water, and regular water, you're gonna make it glow in the dark. That's for, that is no way. But we'll do an update. Maybe uh, maybe it'll prove me wrong, and I'll learn how to make glow in the dark battery acid for you, Zach. Then you can <laughs> spritz me with the glow in the dark battery acid. Then you can know when I'm coming to get you when the lights are out. It's defense mechanism. All, all right, folks. If Rob was able to make glow in the dark uh, food coloring from the aforementioned items, he will break into the audio right now. Hey kids, it turns out quinine, or quinine, glows in the dark. So, being the main ingredient of tonic water, putting that in something will, technically, make it glow in the dark. Well, that was disappointing. <laughs> Alright, so I, I don't even think, I think we asked and answered the question already. How do we end the episode? Butthole surfers in good reverse. Old, good old butthole surfers, surfers backwards. That's going to be raucous. It's going to be great. <laughs> Woo! Monstober!